Hi there! Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. In my career as a musician, I've played some really neat gigs, some cool venues like the Commodore Ballroom and the Red Robinson Theater. More than one warehouse turned into a venue for, like, the Christmas party. Various fancy hotels down to tiny restaurants or pubs, you know, cramming a 20-piece jazz band into this tiny corner, or, or a flatbed trailer turned into a stage. <laughs> Gigs like those are always fun because I usually have to clamber into place in a downstage corner and just kind of sit there till it's my turn to sing because there's no moving around or making an entrance. It's just too crowded. Somebody's going to fall off the stage and it's probably me. <laughs> There are two gigs that really stand out in my memory because of the contrast between them. They were both wedding receptions, both with the same fellow, a jazz pianist named, I'll call him James. So he had these two wedding gigs booked and asked if I would sing with him. The first one was held in the studio space at the Surrey Arts Centre. It's a black box theater space where they had set up several round tables to hold, you know, eight people or so. This was a pretty small, intimate wedding. The studio had been decorated with lighting and cityscapes on the walls done with lighting. It was just really pretty, really classy looking. And we were hired to play some tunes during the cocktail party. James played on a gorgeous grand piano, and we did all kinds of jazz standards as well as Beatles tunes with a jazz feel and and some other tunes that we just put together and thought would be fun. Um, We were fully prepared to provide background music, but in fact, everybody stood around and actually listened and clapped. It was more like a concert. It was really neat. And after we played, there was this beautiful buffet dinner in which we had been invited to partake, which was lovely and generous. We fully expected that we would fill our plates of food and take them downstairs to the green room that had been provided by the venue. But no, instead, get this, the bride and groom didn't have a head table. It was just themselves, the maid of honor, and the best man. So they invited James and me to sit with the four of them. (laughs) It was amazing, lovely and pleasant. And we chatted about this and that and had an absolutely wonderful time. I have often wondered about that couple and how they're doing because they were just so very nice. A couple of weeks later was the second wedding gig I did with James. Only this time it was a jazz quintet. So the two of us plus three others. The bride and groom were editors of some fitness magazine, so no black box theater space for these folks. This wedding reception took place at a massive home in South Surrey in Panorama Ridge. This is not what you might think of as a modest neighborhood. This is a wealthy neighborhood. The reception was taking place in the tennis court in the backyard of this house. An enormous tent had been set up, walls closed in around the area where the tables were, but open at the end where the band was. The tables and chairs all had fancy cloths and coverings, and the centerpieces on each table consisted of these sort of vase-like candelabra, complete with feathers sweeping out of them. The catering was by the Pan Pacific Hotel, so... 
that's a hotel that, you know, $400 a night for a room. So fancy schmancy is what I'm saying on the catering. No shortage of budget for this event. Inside the house, there was a river running through the living room floor. I'm not kidding. Complete with fish. It was all lit up in different colors and covered with plexiglass so you could walk on it. Like this stream literally went all through the main floor of the house. And there was also a massive fish tank that took up about six feet of wall space. The theme of the wedding was black and white. So I had to actually go buy a dress to wear for this event. Uh, And of course, I'm not going to wear that dress while we're setting up. Okay, so now here's where the real contrast between the first wedding and this one reared its head. Once we were set up, I wanted to change into my dress. I asked where the washroom was so I could change, and I was told by the catering staff that there were portageons out front. This is true, there were. And they were fancy portageons, but I explained that I wanted to change my clothes, not just have a pee. They said I had to use the porta potty. I'm like, no. <laughs> I have to change into a long gown. Anyway, I dodged the caterers and found a washroom inside the house. Okay, that's done. I'm ready. They did not even provide us any chairs. We had to ask them for chairs to sit on. And boy, oh boy, was that a big pain in the ass for them. They grudgingly hunted down some chairs, but not enough for all of us. James got one as the piano player, and I think there were a couple others, but I had to sit off to one side on the outside of the tent, which, as I said, it was open at that end, but still, I was outside of the tent on this little rock wall. They didn't offer us so much as a glass of water. We had to ask for those, and we each got one. And I definitely had the sense that I had better make it last. We started playing while the guests were arriving, and again, it was kind of a background music situation, which is fine, except that even when you're playing background music, you kind of expect to be able to finish a tune before the MC speaks. You know, dude, if you have an announcement, let us know. We'll finish the song and let you speak before we start up another one. Not this guy. He interrupted us in the middle of a song to make some sort of announcement more than once. In fact, at one point, he interrupted in the middle of my singing (laughs) to tell the audience that jazz musician Diana Krall's dad is here as one of the guests. Really? It was absolutely appalling. Like, one, who cares? And two, don't you think maybe Diana Krall's dad has an appreciation for music and might be listening? It was just so rude. He did that over and over. Anyway, I think we only played for an hour or so, and we were all wondering why the hell they bothered. Just have canned music if you're going to keep treating us like canned music. So then we finished playing, and... The catering staff is delivering these beautiful plates of roast beef and chicken and vegetables and fish and salads and all of this fancy stuff. The band? We were given sandwiches wrapped in plastic and told to go sit up on the porch. And when we were done, we had to then hunt around for the person who had our check. Oh, the best man has it. Oh, I gave it to so-and-so. Oh, no, I don't have it. It took us 
ages to get paid for this damn thing. And the real kicker was that James only charged them $500. So we were each only getting $100 out of this thing. Like, not worth our time. And when the dancing got underway, they did have a DJ and canned music for this part. They also had a chocolate fountain. So we're standing on the outside of the tent area, looking in, waiting to be paid our pittance, drooling over the chocolate fountain. Some dude asks if we would like something from it, and we responded with enthusiasm. So he gets a plate and brings us each one piece of fruit dipped in chocolate. One. (laughs) So yeah... One wedding where they treated us like part of the wedding party and the other where we were treated like we were less than the catering staff. At least the caterers received please and thank you. And they probably got paid without having to hunt around for their check. (sighs) We finally got paid and got the hell out of there. I wonder if those two are still married. You may recall. Last week, Griffin and Mateo shared a sizzler of a kiss at rehearsal. Phoenix made rude comments about Griffin's strudel, and then she had a nasty, soaking wet, rainy journey home. And tonight, she has a date. Griffin and Mysterious Correlations by Krista Wallace Chapter 13, May 15th I awoke, clenching my teeth so hard my jaw ached. I leapt out of bed, muscles taut with the urgency of getting out the door. When the phone rang, I jumped as if someone had popped a balloon right behind my head and hesitated to pick it up because lately the phone had meant bad news. But the call display showed it was Brian, so this time I picked it up with a tentative, Hello? He reminded me Dominic's lesson was at its normal time of six o'clock this week. I recalled that the previous week his lesson had been at four. I told Brian I remembered, thanked him, and hung up the phone with a sense of a tiny weight akin to that of a goldfish having been lifted, which resulted in my relishing a cup of tea with my morning toast with honey and cinnamon. It was Matteo's kiss that had stayed with me through the night, not the trauma of the soaking wet bus ride. I was almost excited about going to Salamanders, almost, but not quite. The weather was considerably drier, if not lots warmer, so my trip into town wasn't utterly horrible. As I walked to the restaurant from the bus, I saw the same homeless fellow who had watched me roll on the grass the previous week. He looked kind of alarmed, and I figured I owed it to him to be friendly. I pointed out the entrance to Salamanders. Hey, if you come in there sometime, I'll give you some lunch, okay? He looked at me warily and stepped back as I passed him. I succeeded in making it to the kitchen without running into anyone I didn't want to see. I didn't run into anyone I did want to see either, but that was all right. The kitchen was vacant of people too, and I checked the clock to see if I was inordinately early. I was not, but since other people's schedules were not my responsibility, I didn't worry about it. Maybe Tuesdays were chef's other day off. A note handwritten in thick green marker was on my table. Cinnamon buns. Really? They thought I was an expert pastry chef and they asked me to make bread? Well, all right. I'd be able to go rehearse for a decent chunk of time while the dough rose, so this would work out well. It was kind of the perfect scenario, as there was absolutely nothing on this earth I wanted more than to go and be in the same room with Matteo. I hoped I didn't drool with the desire to pick up where we'd left off last night. My phone rang. It was Calvin. 
I stared at it, frozen, unable to press the talk button with my head still full of Mateo until it went to voicemail. A filament of guilt wound round my hand and up my arm, and I kept staring at the phone until the little icon appeared in the corner of the screen, indicating that he had hung up. Only then could I press buttons through the sequence that would allow me to hear what he had said. "'Hey, Griffin!' He sounded way more uplifted than he had on Friday night, excited even. "'Do you ever pick up your phone these days, or is it just when I call?' <laughs> he chuckled and couldn't know how close to home he'd come. "'So listen, Andy's cousin knows a guy who lives not too far from here, and he's apparently a half-decent lead player. So we were talking and thinking we could get together on Wednesday night, well, tomorrow, and have a jam session, you know, like an audition kind of thing. Can you make it? And if we find anybody else, they can come too and take turns or something.' Anyway, give me a call and let me know. It doesn't make sense for us to do it without you, so I hope you can. The message ended with a beep, and I stood still with the phone in my hand, stunned and perplexed. Well, of course the rest of the band should be looking for a new lead player. Of course they should. Why would I think it was up to me? My head knew this to be true, but for some reason my heart felt like a needle was stuck in it, and now I had to make a choice. On the one hand, it was the perfect opportunity to introduce Matteo to my band to clarify what I should have clarified days ago, that I needed a lead guitarist for my band, not a new band for myself. He could come and audition. He would blow them away, and voila, we'd get to make fabulous music together twice. Or he could come and audition, and he'd spill the beans about the spurious correlations, and I would have some explaining to do. On the other hand... There was a childish part of me that wanted to keep Matteo to myself. What if he didn't think we were very good, good enough for him? What if he realized that I'm a complete fraud? Maybe he wasn't interested in playing with another band anyhow. Maybe I was overthinking it as usual and I needed to just ask him. The other person I did not see anywhere was Stephen. Without him to find the recipe for me, I stepped over to the bookshelf with the eager determination of an archaeologist— where would one begin to look for a recipe for bread among a shelf of titles such as Flossy the Multilingual Fungus and I Shipped My Parcel to Bolivia? Excitement and suspicion took hold of my nerves in equal measure with their anemone-like tendrils when I saw a narrow-spined book entitled Bread. It turned out to be a treatise on the auto industry in Belize. There pretty much isn't one in case you were interested. After revealing this illuminating fact within the first two paragraphs, the book was filled with the word codswallop over and over. I won't bore you with the details of the search. Suffice it to say, I eventually found the recipe in a book called Fourteen Times I Called My Cat, which was sitting on the counter by the large mixer, which was a very convenient place and would have saved me twenty minutes of searching had I seen it there. Why couldn't whoever had placed it there have placed it with the cinnamon bun instruction sign? But never mind. I opened the recipe and determined that for the number of cinnamon buns I needed to make, I'd better double or even triple the recipe. I found all the ingredients I needed and got started. I measured flour and yeast and other things and dumped them in the large mixer, which folded and mixed and kneaded the dough. It was probably the easiest thing I'd ever made, since I didn't have to do all the kneading by hand. All the while, I wondered what Matteo was doing and if he was thinking about me— the speakers were playing Rise Again, but I was humming at last. 
When the dough had kneaded itself enough, I turned the machine off and released the bowl to place it in a suitable location for rising. I rubbed the massive ball of dough with butter so it wouldn't dry out and lay a sizable cloth over it. By this time, several of the kitchen staff had arrived and I left them to their devices while I washed up. On my way to the rehearsal room, I thought how convenient it was that apart from Sunday, all of us band members seemed to always be available at the same time. My pace slowed. It dawned on me that I hadn't seen any of the guys working in the dining room, or anywhere else for that matter, not since Matteo served creme brulee on my very first shift. Yet whatever jobs they did outside of rehearsal, it was darned convenient that we didn't seem to ever say, oh shucks, we have to rehearse without Dennis this time because he's waiting tables over the lunch rush. Nobody was ever missing. I always was the last one to arrive. Come to think of it, was there a guy in the band called Dennis? I banished these confusing thoughts from my mind as I pulled open the studio door. The others were there, but Matteo wasn't. He's going to be late, the bass player, I think his name was Bjorn, said. That was a surprise. How come? He said something about needing some new guitar picks, said the drummer. Thor, I think his name was. Well, that's goofy, I said. I work at a music store. He knows that. I'm going there later. I could easily have brought him some. He wouldn't have wanted to trouble you, the keyboard player. Darcy, or was that Dennis, said. A niggle of disappointment wiggled up the back of my neck. Not only was it kind of a lame excuse to be late, but he had squandered an opportunity for me to do him a favor. I imagined him asking me to grab some guitar picks for him on my next trip to the music store. I imagined myself saying, sure, no problem, with cool yet warm disinterest. I imagined myself returning, completely self-possessed, downplaying my triumph as I handed him the little paper bag. I would have received the warmth of his smile, the tenderness in those deep blue eyes, and the caramel of his voice, saying, Thanks, Griffin. Wait a minute. Matteo had said he would drive me to my lesson after work. He could have picked up guitar picks then. Had he forgotten he was going to drive me? Had he forgotten about our date as well? Whoa, what the hell was this reaction about? I was disappointed not to see him, that was all. It was a small thing I could have done for him. It was not horrifying news that he'd been in a car crash or something. Good heavens, I was reacting like a junior high school girl over her first crush. Pull yourself together, muttonhead. Okay, I said, what can we work on until he gets here? There is always stuff a band can work on when there are people missing which this band had never had to do before, see above. We worked on a few songs, but I couldn't keep from glancing over at the door, awaiting his arrival. I was so distracted I just couldn't focus on the music. As a result, I felt utterly feeble on top of everything else. After about an hour, I excused myself. I have to go turn bread dough into cinnamon buns. I hesitated a moment, waiting for someone else to say, Oh yes, it's clean the vinegar bottles day in the dining room, or something to indicate that the others did anything around here but play music. Nope. Nothing. Disappointment was a knife in my side, and I stumbled down the hall to the kitchen. So dispirited was I, so entrenched in overreactive melancholy, with thoughts like, Why didn't he show up? Where could he be? Does he remember our date? Why am I the only one that seems to work in the restaurant? That it took quite a few moments for my senses to catch up. At long last, the mantra turned to, What the devil is that smell? 
Have you ever entered a building and observed the familiar aroma of chlorine and instantly known there is a swimming pool somewhere? Imagine that rather than smelling chlorine, you are assailed by the warm acid and alcohol aroma of yeast. My bread dough had risen. The bowl it had been in was no longer visible, buried under a mountain of dough. A goodly portion of it had spilled over onto the floor, and it resembled the Matterhorn towering over my head. The cloth I had used to cover the dough fluttered at the top like a flag. The song coming through the speaker system was Rise Up. Not funny, I told it. Even if I punched it down, there was no way the counter, albeit the size of a pool table, was large enough to roll out all the dough at once. I would have to pick off and bin all the surfaces that had touched the floor, which was tragic, not to mention a royal pain in the ass. I sighed as loud as a jet engine and grabbed my apron, then washed my hands and approached the pudding-like monster that wanted to swallow the kitchen. If you've ever made bread from scratch and by hand, you'll know the way the dough behaves, for the most part easily pulling away from the sides of the bowl. This was not like that. This was more like oobleck, and I don't mean the kind you make out of cornstarch for kids to play with. I mean like Bartholomew's, sticky and bubbly and threatening to take over the world. And it continued to burgeon. I had complained about the rain, of course I had, but not once during my harrowing journey home last night had I complained like King Derwin that rain in and of itself was boring. I didn't know which magic words I had used to summon this mess, nor could I guess what would make it stop. I tried the obvious. Stop! Exactly nothing happened. Until a brief moment later, it did. The dough mushroomed. Fast. I had to back away. God damn it, I yelled. I did not sign on for this. I placed myself before the mass, making myself as large as possible, as if I were facing a leopard. It slammed into me and I staggered. Do not fall over, I told myself. If I fell, that would be the end of me. Help, I yelled. But of course there was no one else around. Where were all the dancing chefs when I needed them? I pressed my whole self against the onslaught, bracing my feet against the cupboards. I racked my brain and recalled that in the story the king had finally said, I'm sorry. It caused me pain to apologize for something that was not my fault. What was I even apologizing for? Especially when I seemed to be apologizing to Phoenix Bloody Rising. Remembering his name felt like being stabbed between my eyes. Believe me, I considered my options carefully. What I really wanted to do was walk out, but I knew that would spell the end of playing with the spurious correlations, and that was simply not a choice I was capable of making. I might be free of baking hell, but there would be a hole in my heart that would drain me of my life force. Fine! Tipping my head back to avoid the suffocating blob approaching my face, I looked around for the camera I was certain existed somewhere. Fine! I raised my doughy hands in supplication, swallowed my pride and dignity, and said, I'm sorry? It took a moment, but at last the dough stopped its growth and even subsided like a falling souffle, leaving little moraines of dough here and there. I dropped my head and squeezed my eyes to prevent tears from even forming, let alone falling. I had humbled myself to a mass of dough, which was an all-time low. What had I done to deserve this? Why me? When the dough was a manageable size, I pushed and punched and rolled it in on itself, taking out all my frustrations on it. It deserved the beating more than I did. 
I found several large bowls and removed quantities of it to other surfaces, leaving a wieldy amount on my work table. The original bowl I had used revealed itself the way a statue emerges from the sculptor's stone. Picking bits of dough off my clothes and out from under my fingernails, I took stock of the room. About five cooks puttered away in their corners of the kitchen, oblivious to my antics. These were all new cooks, whose names I didn't know, who had not been in the room for the last forty-five minutes. My jaw relaxed, and I just stood there shaking my head. In all honesty, this place was starting to feel unreal to me. Every day some bizarre thing occurred, to me and me alone, and each one was a dose of anesthetic, benumbing me to the point where it was all becoming commonplace. Any moment now somebody would come along and tell me I was the hilarious victim of a prank show, and wasn't I such a good sport? I'm not even surprised by this, honestly. I said to no one in particular, flicking dough into a tub. This whole dough thing just kind of sums up my life of the last ten days or so. The other cooks smiled and nodded and kept about their business. That's another thing. I pushed dough into a shape I could roll with a rolling pin. Who are all you people? Where do you come from? Where do you live? Do you speak English? I found the rolling pin under the counter. Not that it's a problem if you don't, it's just that I have worked here for over a week and I don't know any of your names and you're awfully quiet. I rolled dough and chattered and spread butter and a mixture of cinnamon and brown sugar. The song had moved on to Cinnamon Girl. I took the next couple of hours gathering up the rest of the dough, punching it, shaping it, rolling it out so I could swamp it with cinnamon bun filling, roll it into a spiral, and slice it. I lay the coils of sticky sweet goodness on baking sheets and lined them up on every possible surface to rise. I washed my hands and excitedly reached behind myself to untie my apron, looking forward to the rest of rehearsal more than I had ever looked forward to anything in my life, including the time I met Alex Lifeson. Only playing guitar and singing had charms to soothe the savage breast, as Congreve sort of said. It was what I needed right then if I was to regain any composure. I stepped toward the hook to hang my apron. Just then the door burst open and Phoenix, wearing a royal blue cape over a white and blue striped onesie, filled the doorway. I froze. I clutched the apron and stared at him. He stared at the cinnamon buns. I swallowed and waited for the disparagement. None came. He spun around and the door swung, whoop, whoop, behind him. My urgent need to make music just then became overshadowed by my even more urgent need to stay and guard my project as it rose. I did not wish to come back in an hour and find they'd piled themselves up and hardened into giant snowmen. Missing a chance to play hurt like the time I had to miss the Guns N' Roses concert to attend the funeral of some uncle I didn't know. My heart ached with desire to run down and see if Matteo had turned up, but there was no damn way I was leaving those buns unattended. I put my apron back on in a kind of none-shall-pass declaration. After an hour of reading Tales from the Potter's Wheel, not one of which had anything to do with pottery, getting bored and instead sitting on the counter miming finger-picking patterns and humming through solo sections and wishing I had a guitar in my hands, I turned on every oven in the place. The baking took ages with so many pans of cinnamon buns, but finally, eventually, at long last, in the fullness of time, they were done. The heavenly aroma coaxed drool onto my tongue. 
I was hanging up the oven mitts when Phoenix blew in like a gale-force wind. I braced myself. Wow, those look amazing. I squinted at him, suspicion overwhelming me like vertigo. What? He turned to me and shrugged. What, what? I said they look amazing and it's true. Why are you saying that? He was mocking me for sure. He threw his hands in the air. Must I have a reason other than the truth? Oh, come off it, Phoenix. This is exactly what I was talking about yesterday. You never say nice things. And so today I am saying something nice. Why don't I believe you? I cannot imagine. Look, he said, pointing to one of the cinnamon buns in the middle of the table. That one is particularly extraordinary. You should eat it. My heart pounded like I'd run a marathon. I should do what? Eat it, you know, in the name of quality control. Why that one? I said to myself. What had he done to it? My knees quaked. Why don't you eat it? His eyes widened and he straightened. Why, I think I will. He reached over and separated the bun in question from its friends. But I don't like to eat alone. Why don't you eat? He ran his gaze over the table. That one. I studied him, suspicion cranking up my heartbeat. And now why that one? The man hid his intentions well, but I wasn't buying it. On the other hand, I hadn't eaten since breakfast, so my needs got the better of my intellect. Fine. I snatched it and took a tiny bite. It was mouth-watering. I pretty much crammed the rest of the bun in at once, the whole time staring at my hitherto and probably still but pretending not to be tormentor. I do hope you're going to make icing for these. He licked his fingertips. They would be positively divine with icing. Cream cheese icing. My chest puffed with shallow breaths. The cinnamon bun was delicious, but I didn't trust it for a moment. All right, so what had he done to the ones next to those ones? You there, he called to two other chefs on the other side of the kitchen. Come and try these. They tottered over curiously. Phoenix pointed. Try that one, and you try that one. No, not that one, that one. They picked up the buns that had been selected for them and took a bite. My usually silent co-workers found their voices. Oh, my, this is the best thing I have ever tasted, said one. My compliments to the chef. It is delicious, said the other. Very tasty. You're a fantastic cook. I frowned, incapable of politely accepting compliments that sounded rehearsed. After they had orated their lines, the two chefs retreated to their side of the kitchen. See? Told you. Phoenix spun around with a wave of his cape. Beautiful work today. He ducked through the door to the dining room. Oh, my word, you would not believe these cinnamon buns in here, he pronounced to persons unknown. You simply must. His voice faded as the door flopped behind him. I stared after him and waited for the cinnamon buns to turn into fireworks and explode, or to fizzle and dry up, or shoot jets of water like a water park. There had to be something wrong with them. There had to be. There was absolutely no way on earth Phoenix would be encouraging. He had somehow set this up with the other two chefs without my noticing. Something was up, that's all there was to it, and I imagined him waiting on the other side of the door for whatever it was to happen so he could come back in and laugh his fool head off at me. They were delicious. They were too delicious. Somebody's watching me taunted me through the speakers. The other chefs had vanished too, probably hiding in cupboards waiting to pop out at me. No, 
I said to the room. I am not going to let it happen. Trembling like a wet chihuahua, with near hysteria tightening my throat, I dragged all the huge garbage bins over to the table and swept row after row of suspiciously perfect, and therefore entirely suspect, cinnamon buns into them. I pressed them down and squashed more in, until not a single crumb remained on any of the counters. I backed up and cowered against the fridge, cringing, awaiting the massive volcanic eruption from the bins. When it didn't come, I whipped off my apron, flung it on the floor, and flew to the door, where I stopped and turned around. I stalked back to the room, picked it up, and deliberately hung it on the hook, my back as tense as a guitar string. I ran from the kitchen. I raced to the rehearsal room. Would Matteo be there yet? He had to be. We had a gig in just a few days, not to mention a date that evening. I ran down the hall and burst through the door. Is he back? I panted. You just missed him, Bjorn. Thor? No, that one was Dennis. No, Darcy, said. What? My anguished disappointment at missing him was so pathetic my mother would have had good reason to turn her nose up at me. Where has he gone now? He was supposed to give me a ride. I was highly strung out from cinnamon bun panic. Doctor's appointment, either Darcy or Thor or Bjorn said. He has a... No! I put up my hand as a stop sign. I did not need to hear any details of what physiological ailment had taken the man of my dreams to the doctor. I was despondent enough not having seen him all day, and I did not need to add to my discombobulation by worrying about something that was either, well, worrisome or not any of my business. He wasn't officially my boyfriend. I didn't think it right to have too much personal knowledge yet. But I wished he had popped his head into the kitchen to let me know he was leaving and when he would be back, or if he would be back. I also wished I hadn't stayed in the kitchen guarding bread while it rose instead of going to rehearsal. Why hadn't someone come and asked after me? A spoiled, childlike pang of feeling left out was yet another reason to be ashamed of myself. I wasn't sure what to do. We had already worked through things we could work through without lead guitar. I mucked about with power of two and kept checking the door until it got to be time to leave if I were to make it to the store by bus. I gathered my belongings and headed out to the street. Where Mateo's blue mini sat waiting and the man himself stood next to the car. He smiled and waved as soon as he saw me. After the insane thoughts that had been going through my head all day, I was supremely frustrated and felt like saying, What the hell are you doing out here? And believe me, I thought this with full knowledge that it was a stunning betrayal on my part to harbor such a thing as a negative thought about this man. But his smile was sheepish, and he said, I was afraid to come inside lest I get roped into something. That was a decent enough excuse. And now I would make it to the music store early, which would be a nice surprise for Brian. One of the guys said you had to buy guitar picks, I said. How come you didn't just wait until we got to my store? Guitar picks? He seemed puzzled. No, I had to pick up a parcel from the post office. Oh, and your doctor's appointment? Not that it's any of my business. That's okay, I had a bit of a fever. Really? I said with some alarm. Are you okay? If he had to cancel tonight, I would be disappointed, but I'd totally understand. Yeah, turns out I just need more cowbell. Ha <laughs> ha, I laughed. But he looked at me unsmilingly, and I shrank, uncertain. Surely he wasn't serious. Are you sure you're okay, like for this evening and stuff? He turned his beaming smile onto me again. Yeah, I'm fine. Now it was my turn to feel like I had a fever.
We decided to go to the pub for a drink and some food after my lesson, and he dropped me off outside the store. He didn't want to come in, which I thought was weird, but he said he wanted to sit in the car and read. He showed me his copy of The Secret World of Og, and I couldn't blame him for his choice. My lesson with Dominic went well. He'd been practicing. I liked that kid. Afterward, Matteo and I went to my favorite pub and sat across from each other in the corner near the fireplace. Could this be any more perfect for a first date? Was this a first date? I didn't want to leave my guitar in the car, so I stood it up in the corner next to me. I also turned my cell phone off. The server came and I ordered a gin and tonic. Matteo ordered cake-flavored vodka with Dr. Pepper. I thought my eyes would drop out of my head. Can you say sweet? Oh, well, it was not for me to judge. I also ordered some hot wings and yam fries. Matteo said, Do you guys have deep-fried kohlrabi? Pardon? asked the server. Kohlrabi, he repeated. It's like a turnip in appearance, but like cabbage or broccoli stems in crunch and flavor. She stared at him. No, she said. All right, then, I'll just have yam fries, too. Do you have a raspberry vinaigrette I can dip them in? I don't think so. Never mind, then, just the fries. The server looked relieved as she went to the next table. I decided to launch into the conversation I knew I had to have, but was causing me some anxiety. So, do you remember the night we met? I was instantly aware of how lame that sounded, like a line out of a crummy movie. He said, yeah, how could I forget? which sounded like a response from a crummy movie, and I am ashamed to say it still made me blush. <laughs> well, see, when Rickenbacker told me he knew a guitarist, I was interested because I needed someone to replace Jason. You met Jason. Matteo rolled his eyes. Yeah, what a turd. Yeah, so you see, reticence held my words back like a mother preventing her toddler from running into the street. I wasn't actually looking for a new band to play in. Alarm lit his face. Are you quitting the Spurious Correlations? No, 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 no. God, no. I love the Spurious Correlations, though Phoenix is an awfully big deterrent. Matteo leaned forward suddenly. Yes, he is. Um, yeah, so... Our drinks arrived, and we clinked. I watched Matteo's face to see if it went funny after he sipped his strange choice of highball. It didn't. But you see, my other band is still looking for a lead guitarist. I got all stammery then, for whatever reason. I, uh, I, I don't know if you would be interested, but we're auditioning another fellow tomorrow night, and I was wondering if you yes. might be open to coming and play. Wait, what? Matteo put his hand on top of mine, taking my breath away. Yes, I would really like to audition for you. That's great, cool. Our food arrived, necessitating the lifting of his hand. It had rested upon mine for only a moment, but it was an intimate gesture, and I liked it. Now it was imperative for me to bring up the only awkward part. I picked up a wing. I kind of have to ask you a favor. He said, oh yeah? threw about six fries jammed in his mouth. This was the tricky part. I hoped he wouldn't think I was immature, or even worse, a conniving sort who could not be trusted. So, I haven't actually told Calvin and the others about playing with you? Oh, lordy, this sounded so high school. I hastily added, I will, I mean, I have every intention, but I wanted to just give it a try, and we had just come off an awful gig... 
I know this sounds lame. I took a bite of wing. It was plump and juicy and doused in hot sauce, so it was kind of sloopy, just the way I like them. He swallowed fry. I get it. You don't want them to think you have betrayed them by leaving them for another band when you aren't even sure if things are going to work out with us. It sounded like I was having an affair or something, which is exactly what it felt like. On the other hand, I was pleased that he grasped the situation. Yeah, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. Sorry. Lots of people play in more than one band. Was the man right inside my head sifting through all my arguments with myself? I know, which is why I will tell them. I just don't feel ready to tell them yet. So if it doesn't go against your integrity, would you be willing to... Wow, this sounded so childish. Could you pretend you don't know me very well? We could say you're a friend of a friend. A friend of a friend. Yeah, just for the audition. After our gig on Sunday, I'll feel more confident, and I'll sit down with Calvin and tell him all about it. Who's Calvin? Calvin's my best friend, and he's our drummer. We met in elementary school and were really good friends as little kids. Then he moved away for a few years and came back when we were in high school. It was really neat seeing each other in band and choir at school and saying, Wait a minute, hey, I know you. We've been super good friends ever since. He's a terrific drummer, and it just made sense that when I wanted to start a band, it would be with him. Like, I think he'd have been hurt if I hadn't asked him first. I was grinning like a mad woman. Talking about Calvin was like talking about music. I nearly changed my mind right then and there. Never mind, I'll introduce you and tell him all about the spurious correlations was on the tip of my tongue. It all sounds very congenial. Matteo took a gulp of his drink. What a strange choice of words. Was he being sarcastic? Yeah, it is, but he's just a friend. I mean, Jason was my boyfriend. I was really slow on picking up that he's an arrogant jerk. Matteo smiled that boyish smile of his. Of course I'll do it. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I wouldn't want anything to be awkward for you, Griff. Oh, wow, thanks so much. I loved the way he called me Griff. I care about you. Was that the hot sauce making me feel sweaty and flushed? I care about you, too, and I really appreciate this. I promise I won't let it go on. Like, if they decide they want you in the band, then it's a non-issue, right? And I'll explain everything. Cool, Mateo said, and stuffed six more fries in his mouth. We ate and sipped our drinks and chatted about music, brainstorming songs we could add to our repertoire. I offered him a couple of my hot wings, and the one bite he took nearly blew his head off. I had to laugh, but I also felt bad. Wow, not much for spicy, eh? I guess not, he said. I've never had those before. What? I couldn't believe my ears. Have you been living under a rock? No, just at the base of a mountain. <laughs> that was kind of funny, wasn't it? Where do you live? Did you grow up here? Not exactly. Listen, what time is it? I can't stay too late. It's only eight, I reassured him. Oh, wow, I have to get going. Why, is it past your bedtime? I chuckled, but I was also a wee bit annoyed. This going out for a drink thing had been his idea. Why would he suggest it on an evening when he had other things going on? I'm sorry. He took my hand. I've really enjoyed spending this time with you, but I have to go. I am not sure I was able to keep the disappointment from my voice as I said, Okay. The server brought our bills upon request. I was relieved to just pay for my own and avoid that who is paying for whom awkwardness that always makes me feel like I have to keep track of whose turn it is. Perfectly fine for a first, was this a date? I couldn't be sure. I slung my guitar over one shoulder and we went out to the car. 
Matteo opened the passenger door for me in a gentlemanly way. Your carriage, miss. He took my guitar to deposit in the back for me, and I climbed in. We drove the short distance to my apartment, where I was tempted to invite him in, only he had said he had to get going, so I didn't. I reached to unbuckle my seatbelt. He turned to me and said, Thank you, Griffin, for a lovely evening. <laughs> I said, Thank you. I had a good time, too. Thanks for the rides. He was staring deeply into my eyes like he was trying to hypnotize me. It was my pleasure. I look forward to many more opportunities of this nature. Okay, so obviously he really wished he didn't have to leave this early. Naturally, I forgave him instantly. I guess I'll see you tomorrow, then, I said. He brushed my cheek with his fingers. I'll look forward to it. And the audition, too. I promise I won't spoil anything for you. I'm sure you'll be amazing. He moved his hand so it was under my chin, and I leaned forward in anticipation. His lips brushed mine like kitten whiskers. I don't want to start something I can't finish, he whispered, his breath on my cheek. Too late, truth be told. I agreed with a massive, reluctant sigh. The moment over, I said, Good night, and got out of the car and retrieved my guitar from the back. I went to the door of my apartment with leaden feet. I turned and waved as he drove off. Our first date had been short but very sweet, the first of what I hoped would be many. I watched his little blue mini until he had disappeared around the corner. Inside I made myself a massive gin and tonic, I had had only one at the pub, and turned on my phone to check my voicemail. Griffin, said my mother, as if she wasn't sure which number she'd called. You brought a bottle of wine over the other night, and I want to know what you've done with it. Where did you hide it? I want to serve it to my bunco club, because whatever it is, it's good enough for them. If you were so childish as to take it away, well, you're not the daughter I brought up. I fell asleep thinking of Matteo while my brain played Les Paul and Mary Ford's recording of I'm a Fool to Care. that their date was sweet, if a little short, after the cinnamon bun non-catastrophe. Tune in next week when Griffin says, that doesn't make this okay. If you're enjoying the story, pop on over to Kofi or coffee.com and maybe drop a tune in my virtual guitar case. The link is in the episode description. Schools have gone back in, so I wish all my teacher friends, as well as all my parent friends, a safe and successful school year. Thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Cheers, David and Sharon. Thanks, Phil, for the guitar solo. And thanks so much to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.